It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Dave Fink, CEO and co-founder of Posty. Dave thinks the best kept secret in marketing is hiding where you least expect it, in your mailbox. Over a 20-year career, he's generated hundreds of millions of dollars in ad revenue, powered viral sensations like Dollar Shave Club, and helped launch celebrity startups from Jessica Simpson, Mary Kate and Ashley Olson, and Kate Bosworth. Now as a founder and CEO of Posty, he's out to reinvent direct mail marketing for a digital world. Dave was working for a Web 1.0 marketing company, watching his clients at legacy giants like Procter & Gamble and Clorox toiling away at the same cramped desks year after year. Meanwhile, his contacts at digitally savvy tech startups were busy trading in their high-end days for Ferraris. Something big was happening, and he was determined to be a part of it. Fast forward to 2010s, and Dave had transformed that determination into an incredible career as a multi-time founder, early-stage tech investor, and digital marketing guru. But despite the success of his strategy, one advertising channel remained stubbornly resistant to his attempts at modernization, direct mail. Dave cracked that problem in early 2017 when he unveiled Posties, finally empowering old-fashioned mail to perform as dynamically as the best modern digital channels. They've quickly become the preferred direct mail solution for top digitally native brands like Lyft, Casper, Warby Parker, and many, many more. Dave Fink, welcome into the corner office. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you here and uh, wonderful to, you know, kind of get connected as we get into the summer months now. I'm not sure what part of the country you're in today, but it's getting warm down in Florida. Where, where, are, we, where are we talking to you today? Oh, I have a feeling we have you beat. I'm in Austin, Texas. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think we're at our like 30th consecutive day over 100. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, hitting those triple digits. Well, st stay well hydrated, right? That's what they always tell us. For well, sure. Dave, we like to kick things off uh, really just kind of talking about the early years. And uh, I don't think you were born and raised in Austin, but uh, would love to hear where that was. And tell us a little bit about your early family life. Sure. I was born and raised in the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. And yeah, that was, you know, the re really kind of a, a a child of the eighties hmm. um, and brothers and sisters. Uh, yeah. Mom and dad I, do. I'm a middle child. I have middle two child. sisters, yeah. um, pretty equally, um, uh, equidistance. I think one's four years older than me and one's three years younger. And yeah, we, we had, uh, I think a fairly idyllic, you know, um, 
yeah, suburban Midwestern upbringing. I feel yeah. very, very fortunate. Great mom and dad, some you know cousins not too far away. Good schools, Green Park districts, kind of all all those those boxes checked that uh, that nineteen eighties TV <laughs> shows like to portray. I love it. What did mom and dad do? They were both uh, in real estate. Mom, uh, who took a number of years off, but I think by the time I was in middle school and ended up uh, going back to work as a as a residential real estate residential broker. broker. Yep. And my father was a commercial real estate broker, ah, okay. um, focused on um, you know deals with sh- shopping centers and right. high rise buildings and all that um, good stuff. Did they work in the same office or for separate entities? For the vast majority of, of their careers, they, they worked in different uh, offices. Yeah. Uh, there was a, Good strategy. Was a sh- <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably healthier. But there was a short stint later in their career that, that they did end up working in the same office, but um, did different teams. Yeah, yeah. What, what were some of the early childhood memories you had from mom and dad or some of the lessons you learned at home? Uh, I mean, look, as it, as it applies to business, they were, we were in a, in a, in a family that, um, had two commission only, um, yeah. Entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah. Entrepreneurs in, um, in, in some regard. Uh, but I think, you know, uh, they, they enjoyed the freedom. They enjoyed their, their earning potential, but we certainly experienced, you know, um, you know, lean years and feast and famine. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really was. And they were very transparent about that. And mm. it was incredibly important for them that my sisters and I all worked hard in school, got good formal educations, found things that we were passionate about because they, they you know, they had long careers where it was hard work and it wasn't sure. always easy and education they felt, you know, they came from that generation um, where, where education creates opportunity. And I think right. that, that there's a lot of truth to that. Certainly being a you know, tech entrepreneur, there's no shortage of individuals who chose to go different paths, but I, they're still highly, you know, generally highly educated people. I mean, right. you, you hear right. about the Stanford dropout, but that's still a person who worked very <laughs> hard for many years and was highly educated. Yeah. Did you uh, have jobs as a single digiter? Did you, you know, have the paper route or other things that you did uh, as a kid to raise money? Not as a single digiter, but very yeah. early on. I, I yeah. remember, quite frankly, just lying about my age, thinking I was so, <laughs> so smart. And um, right. and it was years later that I wisened up and realized I was getting paid like $3 an hour cash, as if like <laughs> the, the guy that hired me did, didn't know I was underage. But right. I, I was very, very industrious at an early age. Um, uh, and and uh, I loved working. I loved contributing. I loved, you know, engaging in, you know, with, with business owners and, you know, mo- like many, I think, um, you know, preteens and then teens spent most of my early working days in, in different retail um, outfits. So my, my first job, I think I was probably 12, maybe 11. And I, think it was at a time when you had to be 13 or 14 to have your worker's permit. And I, there was, I was into skateboarding and BMX biking and there was a, there was a a skate shop not that far from my house. And I just picked up the phone and, and, you know, I I, I vividly remember being nervous about lying about my age (laughs) 
uh, and and just desperately wanted a job there. Yeah. Um, not because I needed the money. I, I just wanted to be be know, around it, be a part yeah. of the culture. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, and that, that was, um, so that was the first job and, and I usually had multiple jobs at a time. I remember working at another sports store or sporting goods store. I remember at working um, at the same time at, uh, I don't know if you were coconut records, um, right. record store. And, um, and is that like the warehouse or one of those, uh, 80s record stores or what, what was it? Yeah, it was, the, it was one of the, the first chains. Right. Um, and, and I remember I, I actually hated that job um, <laughs> mainly because I did, you know, my manager was like a high school kid who was, I think was on a bit of a power trip. And oh, yeah. I, I remember, do you remember how the, 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 the tapes, I, I, I don't know how old you are, but um, I'm in an age where, you know, uh, it, it was, it was tapes and, the racks at the record stores, the tapes were put in these like long plastic white right, containers right. and, and, sure. and they had all these like micro shelving units and you, and, and, and this, this manager just wanted an equal number of, of tapes in each one of these little segments. And so I literally go around <laughs> hundreds. Busy work. Uh, and then someone would come in and take, you know, one off the shelf in the middle of the store and you'd have to realign everything. And so um, oh, I, I, it, it wasn't the, it wasn't high fidelity. It wasn't, um, yeah, Jack Black's character, but uh, I thought it was going to be. And so, yeah, always, always had those type of jobs. I worked at a play against sports and um, that, that was a job I loved, fun people. Um, that How'd you do in school? In, up until college, I did, I did fine. Uh, yeah. B's, you know, a C here, there, an A here, there. Uh, it, in college, that's where uh, I started working and uh, pretty close to a 4.0 a 4. in, yeah, in cool. college. Stepped uh, it up, found and, something you liked. Uh, yeah, I just yeah. It was inspired by great professors. My right. a fortunate person where my my parents um, covered the tuition, and I was very aware that that wasn't super easy for them, and so I, I felt an obligation to, to to put school first and make sure I, I got educated. and And I liked it. I, I quite frankly, I always found professors and subject matter that I enjoyed. None of it aligned with any, anything that I really do today, but, um, but I think that's <laughs> it's okay. okay. You're there to learn. You, you yeah. mentioned being inspired by a college professor or two. Tell us about maybe one or two that you can recall and, you know, what, what was the, the subject matter and, you know, what was the kind of inspiring thoughts and direction you got at that time? Yeah. So, so interestingly, the, the, the teachers, the professors that inspired me were all humanities and complet professors. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I, I just, I, I fell in love with reading. If you looked around my office right now, yeah, hundreds and hundreds of books and every yeah. genre you can imagine. I, I, I just, uh, I wasn't much of a reader in high school. Definitely more of an outside kid. Like I said, skateboarding right. and right. hockey and whatever. But in, in college, uh, just got re really fortunate freshman year that um, a couple, couple professors, and these were like, Truman scholars and Marshall scholars wow. and, and, and just really, really lucked into some, some folks that got me kind of addicted to, to reading and, and learning. And interestingly, there was, there was a professor who, who I, I just thought was really interesting. I hadn't thought about in years and about a year ago, maybe less. I was, I was back home at my mom's house in Chicago and going through some old, um, you know, bins of, of stuff. And I notebooks came, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from college. I, yeah. I, I came across a, uh, a, a 
you know, what is it called? Like a, le- a letter of reference from that professor. Hadn't thought about him forever and, um, uh, and looked him up on LinkedIn. Yeah. And sh- sure enough, he had left academia, you know, at some point started his own tech company, sold that tech company. And, uh, and so I just dropped him a note said, yeah. Hey, you have no idea if you'll remember me or not, but, um, you know, you, you, you know, got me addicted to reading and, uh, and he, he wrote back right away and congratulated me on my career. And, and, and it was, it was awesome. He, they, his, he asked me what I was reading. <laughs> it was, it was cool. Fun. So that was yeah. 30 year, yeah, 25 years later. Less years like later. That. That's awesome. What, um, what kind of work were you doing? I mean, did, did you have to work during school? You, you'd mentioned that, you know, you had the advantage of having your tuition covered, but did you also work during college years? And so what kind of jobs were you doing then? Yeah. Um, not much. Um, you know, an internship here, or there, and right. then I always worked during the summers. Uh, I, I was, yeah, I've always been a, a fairly frugal and conser- you know, person and conservative, um, spender. So didn't take a ton to go, a while. And, and I was in a position where, because my parents were covering, uh, tuition, I was able to, to earn enough over the summers in order to, nice. to get by, um, throughout the years. Um, once I graduated, you know, college had a, had a job pretty much every day of my life since. Um, but you know, was fortunate that I was, was, um, was able to focus on, you know, on school and then have some fun. Um, and, uh, I, recognize that that's not um probably the norm these days especially with the cost of education um, where it's at right now well your grades reflect it and that's a good thing you, you graduated from the university of wisconsin madison but I, I see that you've got uh, also university of colorado boulder did you did you get started there and then transfer out or tell me about your experiences about those universities Th- that's right yeah i so out of high school i mean you asked me about my grades they were they were okay. And Wisconsin um, is, was a highly, highly desired school in the Midwest and coming out of my high school. And I didn't get in. I applied hmm. and did not get in freshman year, did get into Boulder and uh, and had never been to the Rocky Mountains. And so when I uh-huh. um, had the opportunity to go visit the school and for anybody who's kind of driven from the airport up and over the hill and gorgeous see, and all of a sudden you see the flat irons and the yeah you know the valley it's it's the most gorgeous place in the country or certainly yeah. one of them and uh and the, the, the campus is is beautiful and i was i was in for sure um did freshman sophomore in boulder don't really have a great reason why i transferred um but uh but i did and ended up um, doing you know, junior and senior and graduated from, from Madison. And I'm glad I had both those experiences. Yeah. Both great, great college towns, great universities, great people, great professors, um, different, you know, slightly different exper- uh, experiences. Right. In hindsight, I think, you know, Boulder was amazing and, and probably would have been very happy if I had just stayed. But I think back then and, and I was a little unsettled and kind of figuring out what life was about and wanted to try right. something different. Right. Yeah. Cool. Did the same thing. I, I went two years at San Diego state where I grew up and then went away to Oregon. So it kind of did the reverse and, and graduated from there. And, you know, it was, it was nice feeling that two different communities, it kind of gave you a good cultural feel and, you know, uh, wonderful schools, both of them. What was that first job you took out of college, Dave? 
So my, my first job, I graduated with a degree in, um, in uh, psychology, focus on, on uh, adolescent clinical psychology. And oh, okay, so hold on. We got to talk, talk about that a little bit. <laughs> tell us around that choice. Uh, you know, the, the, the summer jobs that I, that I loved the most were, were, were working as a as, um, uh, counselor at summer camps. I grew up um, attending yeah. camps. My kids are both at um, away at camp right now, four, four nice. week summer camps, hope, hopefully having a time of their life and maturing um, and uh, went from being a camper to being a counselor. And it was something that, that I was good at, got attention for it, felt good about, um, you know, participating and, and, you know, mentoring other kids. And, and so that just became the natural path. Um, Truth is psychology, I think, um, uh, is, is intriguing to me, um, just in general, um, not yet. Uh, I, I spend a lot of time reading and talking about, um, behavioral economics, which is really no different than I think, um, you know, neuropsychology in many ways. I, I, I've just always been fascinated with why we think the way we think and why we behave the way we behave. And so that um, those type of courses as a part of my, you know, my college experience were super fun. The more kind of in clinical stuff became a uh, little less interesting, less interesting. to me. Yeah. Right. Um, and and so uh, I, I wanted to go and, and, and kind of, um, jump into something where it was a bit more applied. So ended up. Well, you went into sales and one would say that psychology is probably one of the best foundations to go into sales, right? Well, look, I think, I think anything, uh, where you're, where interpersonal communication, um, yeah. affects your performance, you know, psychology, um, can be, can, can be very helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. And that doesn't, you don't have to have a degree in psychology. You just have to be, you know, aware and ask questions and be thoughtful and right. you know, pay attention. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, you asked about the first job, the first job, yeah. um, was working at a social service agency, uh, in, um, inner city Chicago, working wow. with adolescents that were transitioning from, uh, different home life situations. So it could be, um, could be someone being unfortunately taken out of their natural birth family, um, for any number of reasons and put being put in foster care and moving from one foster home to another residential treatment into foster. I love that job. It was, uh, it was, um, it was everything kind of, um, I, I think I'd hoped, um, you know, a profession in psychology or social services, social services would be, it, it was really mentorship, helping, you know, kids in pretty rough situations, find some level of normalcy and, and, um, and foundation in their transitions. And I did that for a year and thought I need in, you know, those are not high paying jobs. And I, I had some level of aspiration for the lifestyle that, that, um, that I wanted to work towards over time. And so figured I had to get, um, an advanced degree and was going to get a, a PhD in clinical psychology and left that job to go do research for a professor, um, in that department at, mm. uh, Northwestern university. And that was a year of, of entering data on research studies into computers. And I hated it. 
I just, I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy being in the building. I didn't, I, I, and, and, and I couldn't foresee myself applying into that program and kind of being in that world for six, seven years. And so, uh, it was what's next. And, Mm -hmm. and that was the transition. That's how I just kind of fell into, into the, you know, tech and, and marketing technology world. Um, a little bit of dumb luck, quite frankly. And, and I think that first sales uh, job was with Cool Savings, right? Tell us a little bit about that company. Was that one of the first sales jobs you took? It, it, well, it was, and it didn't start as a sales job. So okay. it, I had a friend who had been working at the company for about a year. This was 1999. And, and yeah, this was the, the you know, first kind of wave of, of the internet boom, uh, right, yeah, right. this is in Chicago, so it certainly wasn't the Bay Area, but but there was in any ma- in every major city there was there were you know, companies getting yeah. funded and and ideas being turned into businesses, and so um, you know, Cool Savings was um, was a company that was was growing really fast in in Chicago, and I had a friend who had been there, and he, his his feedback to me was just yeah give me your resume, put together a cover letter, you know, send an application, take whatever job they'll offer you. People, you know, we're literally hiring 20 people a week and you'll find, you know, what you're good at. And uh, got hired as, uh, they called it a production coordinator job, uh, entry-level job, got, ironically, um, entering data. And <laughs> uh, very detail-oriented job, was not a very detail-oriented person, would have gotten fired from that job if I hadn't found a path <laughs> into sales and uh, and and made that transition pretty quickly. I think within like yeah. three four months um, was was able to apply for uh, a sales position and spent the next seven years um, building a book of business and yeah. learning business and um, contributing to the success of the company and um, that was th- those were really fun years. I learned a yeah, ton cool. during that stretch. And then it was kind of springboard to, I actually lost count of the number of startups you did after that. I mean, you've been a CEO for a while and have had a number of, you know, startups, uh, you know, through the tech world. What, what was kind of the inspiration for you to jump off? Did you decide at that stage that, you know, you, you kind of wanted to be your own boss? Was there just opportunities bubbling up that you just couldn't avoid? Um, got the bug as some, you know, people say during the startup years tell us about what kind of started you on that entrepreneurial path. Sure. It, uh, it's really simple. Uh, so we were selling, uh, advertising, you know, digital advertising and pretty, pretty much had a a wide open territory. I worked mainly in, in the West coast, mostly California's that's where the companies were. And, I sold into a really wide range. And some of those companies were, you know, fortune 500 companies. I remember, you know, going into companies like Clorox and, and, you know, meeting with marketing managers, media buyers sitting in what I thought was, you know, pretty boring cubicles. And, <laughs> and um, it was yeah, a pretty boring sales cycle. And, and I'd come back a year later and it'd be, the same person, same cubicle or a different person in that same cubicle and come back, you know, a year later, same thing. And it was kind of rinse and repeat At the same yeah. time. Other days I would, you know, I would 
walk into a dingy office, you know, in in Silicon Valley mm. that, you know, was a company that I'd seen advertising and, and, um, and, you know, I'd get a deal and I'd come back six months later, but they'd give me the new address that was like a nicer <laughs> building and twice as much space. Upgrade. And I'd come back yeah. Six months later and there'd be Porsches and Ferraris in the parking lot. And, right. um, and then, you know, sometimes that company, one of those was Netflix, for example. And, uh, yeah. and, and to watch, you know, these, these crazy, you know, entrepreneurs take an idea uh, you know, raise money, build a business and see, you know, the pace of change and opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, th- that was just amazing. I just wanted to be around it. It was, it was so fun. Cool. It yeah. was full of energy and the difference between that environment and the environment, you know, traditional CPG or, or retailer. Um, it would, it just couldn't be further apart in the corporate world. And so for me, I just, I needed to be a part of that. And and there are a lot of people that would have thought, hey, you know, I want to go work in, in that environment. I want to go right. work for, um, you know, an entrepreneurial company. And and because I ended up becoming friends with so many CEOs and founders of these companies throughout, you know, the early 2000s and, and you know, lots of them were very smart and I thought were way smarter than me. And then others were, I didn't think were, you know, any smarter than me and, 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 and there was and the I, same number of Ferrari in the parking lot. <laughs> sometimes more, just, sometimes you know, more, <laughs> but it, 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 uh, I, it wasn't, it wasn't chasing the Ferrari ever. It was, right. right. If, if they can do it, I, I want yeah. to do it. Yeah. As a motivator. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so yeah. I spent, you know, the next 18 years of my career learning, asking questions, certainly trying things and failing, being surrounded by the smartest entrepreneurs that I could get access to. Right. And, uh, and, and it took me probably, you know, it took me a career. It, 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 this was, yeah, I, I had, I honestly know people who started companies in their parents' basement at 16 that right. sold them for tens of millions of dollars yeah. in some cases, you know, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and, um, and you know, all before they were 25, like that, that wasn't me. I didn't just figure it out and get it done. It, it, it took, it took, you know, a decade and a half, two decades to, to get to a place where I felt like I was ready, had the right network, knew how to manage people, knew how to bring ideas to life, knew go to market. Like th- there's, there's a lot that goes into, being a successful entrepreneur right. and, um, and for me, it, it was a journey for sure. Yeah. So we want to talk about posting in a minute. Cause I'm just, I'm so marveled by it. Cause it's just such a cool combination of, you know, leveraging old technology with all the digital tools of today. But if we think about the startups that you've done, you know, prior to coming on posty, what, what would you say is kind of the common thread through all those, you know, startups, what, you know, what was the common learning or what was kind of that, that, that through line that you'd say, you know, kept you going, but more importantly, led you to the success you're having now? Oh, that's a big question. I, I think there are, there are a few themes. Some are a little bit more esoteric and some are a little bit more tangible. And I'll, I'll try and touch on a, a couple of them concisely. So one there are common themes in the type of businesses mm. and technologies that um, that I've 
you know, that, that I've been involved with throughout the years. And, and so if, you know, as you addressed it, my career is kind of oscillated back and forth between being involved in building marketing technology software type businesses that helped other businesses acquire right. customers, build lifetime value, you know, grow. Uh, and, and, and then also building uh, consumer brands that relied very heavily on leveraging software and knowledge and technology and process that those marketing technology platforms taught me all about. And so I right. think it's, it, it, one of those themes is, is oscillating, kind of jumping back and forth between two different sides of the table, understanding how technology and software works in a, in a more um, digital world. Um, and it's kind of, we take that all for granted right now, but that wasn't the case in the early 2000s, late 90s. And, and then when you think about all the brands that have, didn't exist just 10 to 15 years ago right. that are now nationally known, maybe globally known, generating hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, those businesses couldn't have um, succeeded if they didn't um, understand how to leverage um, building relationships with consumers, leveraging, you know, digital media. And, and so when you put those two, kind of those two experiences together, it, it allows you, I think, to have a more holistic approach. It, mm. It's no longer this like mystification of, Hey, I, I, you know, have this product idea and I'm going to build this product, but now I need to, you know, market and grow customers and service those customers. It was, you know, any, any more than it was, Hey, I know how to, you know, how to build all this marketing technology, but I don't know how to launch a brand itself or build right. an e-commerce platform. Um, I had the opportunity to, 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 you know, learn from my experiences working at, at companies on both sides of those, those tables. Um, so that was one theme. The, the other theme that, that I think I was, I was very fortunate about is the two of the companies that, I helped launch, but surrounded with an ensemble cast of, of talented entrepreneurs, um, were, um, were, were platform-based um, mm. companies. So you, you talked about the, the, the businesses, the, the e-commerce businesses that were built in partnership with celebrities. That, that's all true. And, and the company was called Beachmint. And the idea behind it was we were going to build the technology and infra infrastructure to be able to launch direct to consumer social commerce businesses, right. um, you know, one after the next. And so it was, it was really building the platform that allowed us then to bring businesses to market very quickly. And so the fact that I had lots of reps, it, it's kind of like being on the on the on deck circle in a baseball game and, and swinging three bats. And then, you know, you get up to, to the plate and it, it's a lot easier to get that bat around when you're only swinging one. So when you're, you're running around with your head cut off or like a chicken with your head, head cut off, running around like crazy, trying to do all these, you know, you know, the, the, these really, really challenging things, you know, um, at high volume, all, all of a sudden when you get to kind of step back and focus on one core problem that you're trying to solve and all the technology infrastructure process management that goes with it, uh, it just becomes easier. So, and, and the company that um, that I was involved with um, as one of the funding partners before launching Posty was called Science, and Science was a tech studio, and we were in the business of 
funding and building businesses. Yeah. So I think during seven years of being a partner at, at science, you know, I think the number of companies that we actually incorporated and launched was somewhere around 70 to 75. Wow. So, you know, 10, 10 plus businesses a year, many of them did not, you know, outlive their proof of market um, or proof of, you know, um, you know, concept, but, but others became dollar shape club, you know, zero yeah. to a billion yeah. dollar exit in four years or yeah. dog vacay that merged with Rover and now has a billion dollar market cap as a publicly traded company. It, there were, there were, um, that pattern recognition, the speed, the freneticness, um, you know, that all I, I think was, was training for, for, um, you know, for, for launching the next company where I was, you know, CEO. And right. Well, tell us about Posty and, and, you know, what market are you disrupting with that? Sure. So, so Posty is a technology platform that allows marketers the tools to run direct mail, their direct mail marketing, the actual, um, you know, advertising through the mail, postcards and letters and all sorts of fun um, creatives uh, with the same um, kind of dynamicness as, as any digital channel. Mm. And yeah, and, and that was just, that was an, an, really a, a reaction to an organic pain point that, that many entrepreneurs that we were working with throughout the years had been feeling, you know, uh, we all know, you know, Meta and Facebook and Instagram now, and these ubiquitous, you know, platforms and communication tools and content consumption vehicles, but, you know, they weren't 10 years ago, right? 12, years, right. Maybe 12 years ago. And there was a, there was a, a time where if you were, you know, if you were building a business and a brand and trying to grow, you know, you, you, you know, you were running a, a very omni-channel robust, you know, marketing strategy that in, incorporated lots of different channels. Facebook and Google became such dominant forces with so much scale that over time, marketers started putting more and more investment and time and infrastructure and budget to those channels. And, you know, at now and, and certainly, you know, back in about 2016, which is when um, I started kind of feeling this pain, you know, we, we you know, we, we looked around and realized like we had this singular fail point in our growth trajectory, which is that, you know, 80, 90% of our marketing budgets were, yeah. were going into Facebook and Facebook doesn't always behave. Uh, always, yeah. <laughs> As promised. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there's, it, it's, it's a cash generating machine yeah. and, and I think pretty clearly is, is not for the good of the user and is not out to serve the good of the advertiser. It's to serve the good, you know, the shareholders and, um, right. and they've done it. Um, that very well, but but what that means as as a brand is that you wake up every day and and if Facebook behaves, you have a good day and you might hit your P and L goals, and if Facebook's not behaving, you have a bad day and yeah. you might get crushed and and it may change the entire trajectory of your year, right. and that's not healthy. You, right. you know, you, right. you 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 need diversification, but yeah, like with any looked around yeah. and yeah. Yeah, yeah, we tried to find other digital channels that that could 
allow us to to diversify you know um, our focus and and there just wasn't anything it was uh, you know, TikTok didn't exist at that point right right Snapchat existed but didn't have an ads platform at that point there was nothing else up and coming yeah and so for us we started looking at offline channels and there are lots of really great offline channels but very few of them have the targeting capabilities, the addressability, right. the measurement capabilities to run, um, you know, a controlled and aggressive, um, you know, marketing approach that you could do on email, or you could do on yeah. Facebook, or you could do on search. And so our, you know, we found, you know, we found direct mail and it's a really powerful channel. It's a fun channel to engage with mm. consumers. It's highly targetable. It is measurable, but you need software to make it possible to, to do it at scale and sanely. Right. And there at the time that we looked around in 2016, there was there was no technology to Didn't enable exist. Yeah. this yeah. channel. And so that was our idea. Our idea. Awesome. Maybe we build the same same technology tools that exist in in our favorite digital channels, but um, tailor them to to operate within the direct mail world. And that's what we've been up to for the past almost seven years at this point, six and a half years. Dave, how has your leadership style evolved over not just the seven years you've been at Posties, but, you know, through all those tech startups you've done and, you know, the 70 odd that you've nurtured and mentored to have during the time at Science? It's a great question. Uh, it's something I, I'm proud of, but feel I need to continue to, to get better at. I think... That's healthy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Um, so there, there was a quote that I used to hear over and over again. I would read, you know, every time I was thinking about starting something or did start something, I would, you know, read all the the blogs and media from, you know, the most notable entrepreneurs and, and oftentimes, you know, most notable investors and the same, you know. I think commentary showed up over and over again, which is, you know, the secret to being, you know, a good, a good CEO or a good leader is to surround yourself with people smarter than you. Mm. And I used to kind of, it, it just, it never really sunk in. It mm. just, um, but if I look back to the early days of when I was managing and, and leading teams, yeah, I mean, I think I had a lot of insecurity and, and probably hired people that I felt I could manage versus people that were going to be just absolute difference makers. And that's a, that's a hiring bias. And that means that if, if I hired, had to hire people in, in all these diverse roles that I felt that I had to know more than in order to lead them properly, I'm pretty limited. Nobody, yeah. you know, very few people can can know the most about everything. Right. So when I think about when I look around, you know, to post you right now and and look around, you know, even just you know, my time at, at science, you know, one is we were an ensemble cast at science. That you know, we were a group of, of execs assembled because we we each complimented each other and it worked really well. And and in many ways we checked our egos at the door and there's a partner that was great at design and branding and a partner that was great about UI at UI and UX. And, you know, I, I was the partner that focused on, on marketing and growth. And, uh, there was one that, that handled operations and one that handled legal and one that handled fundraising. And you, you put this cast of characters together that all you know, thrived in, in different components of what makes a business successful. And you have a much 
higher probability of 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 succeeding. Right. So when I look at Posty, and you know, we're hiring someone to run sales or to hire data science or to hire, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, branding or whatnot. If if I don't hire someone that knows ten times more than I do <laughs> in that domain, I, I've totally failed. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> it's not only being smarter; it's being the expert, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and, like and 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 then my job is to inspire and right. to communicate in ways that help um, present the vision that we need to achieve. But if I have to be the one, and I say it all the time, I can't look, if I have to be the one doing that job and this job and the job over there and <laughs> that job there, we're going to be the most mediocre company ever. Yeah, and yeah. so I look around and, and definitely the smartest group of people I've ever worked with. I like um, that. And, yeah. and that, to be quite honest, that in of itself doesn't even matter what the product is or right. what the business is. That, that makes getting up and going to work fun so, and enjoyable for me. Yeah. Be, beyond obviously that, um, <clears throat> that expertise and that skill level, what, what else do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire at Posty? Uh, we're really protective of our cultural fit. So mm. you how know, do you we, define that? Yeah. How, how do we defi- define the, it? Your, cult, your culture. Yeah. Um, it would probably be great for us to, to do that exercise of actually truly defining it, but kind of shooting from, you know, uh, the fly here a little bit, you know, one, we want to enjoy the time we spend at work. Mm. And so we, we like everyone on the team has to be the type of person that is a decent quality person first and foremost. Um, it's just, it, 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 yeah, I don't think there's a single person on the team here that I wouldn't look forward to going and grabbing a coffee with or having lunch with or seeing at, you know, team meeting. They're just, they're great to talk to. Yeah. They're interesting. People you want to hang out with, regardless of at work or elsewhere. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. That, that's piece one. Piece two is we, we always err on the side of intellect and, and potential. Hmm. Doesn't mean that we're not trying to hire people with deep domain expertise. We are as well. But given you know two people that were close in domain expertise, both you know very strong, and one that just brought a a kind of an, an approach to thinking through problems and challenges that made those around them you know smarter and better, we would give up a little bit of the domain expertise yeah. in exchange for that component yeah. in in most roles there are certain roles where that's just not possible um right. you, you right. have to have have um yeah very very deep domain expertise but i think in these cases we're kind of all talking about in the venn diagram of of things these are all highly skilled people yeah. but but there's always going to be some that present a little bit better in in a task or um in um in capabilities and 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 given two people that were a little bit separated there, but, but, um, but one, um, just has a, a much higher capacity. We're, we're going to, we're going to, you know, yeah. aim for that higher capacity. It just yeah, makes it better. Yeah. And, 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 and quite frankly, like it's an, it's a, a company where so many of the people that work here have been with us since the first year and have had opportunities of growth. 
And, and so when you hire people that can grow, you're more likely to keep them because if they're motivated people, they want the opportunity to continue to learn and do more and take on more responsibility. And we're in a fortunate position where we're a growing company. And so they're, they're not always as fast as you want it to be, but there's, there's certainly a trajectory of, of additional opportunity as we continue right. to grow. Right. Cool. Well, Dave, you've been very generous with your time today, but we're almost out of it. But we always have one last question. We always ask our CEO guests, and that's, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone who maybe has their eyes on the corner office someday, or, you know, as an entrepreneur like you, you know, it's still, you know, working towards getting that uh, successful startup going. Look, I, I think the, the number one piece of advice in, in life in general, but certainly in, in career is uh, finding a mentor. It is yeah. is probably the the fastest path, fastest path to, to de- personal development. If you can you know, you know find someone that inspires you that's been through much of what you're looking to to go through in your career, that is willing to you know take take you under their arm, um, find some personal commitment to uh, to you as a person in your trajectory. That, that it's the most direct path yeah, and yeah. those tend to be relationships you have for life. Mm. And, and, and similarly, I would say that as you're, you know, on the rise in your career, there's nothing you know more powerful than turning around and, and, and paying that forward right, and, and right. finding an individual or individuals that you can then mentor, which by yeah, the way, too. the little, yeah. you know, dark secret there is, um, is that, you know, I, I think that the, the fastest way you can learn something is to force yourself to be able to teach the material. Right. And so right. if you're being mentored by someone and then you're turning around and taking those lessons and using that to internalize and figure out how to coach up and mentor someone who's, you know, behind you in career development, you know, that's a pretty good way to bookend, um, uh, you know, your own personal trajectory. Wise words. Dave Fink, CEO and co-founder at Posty, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.